Thank you, Aaron. As we, it's interesting to read that as we talk about what is a good church and a bad church today because uh, we're trying to establish what the priorities are and that whole uh, passage, we're talking about praying for those in leadership over us and it seems to be that the standard for which leadership, uh, by which leadership ought to be judged is how well the poor are treated. So if that's the case biblically, then how ought we to change our opinions about those political parties that we put into, pow into power and, and how we, we judge their performance? It seems biblically, if the poor are treated well, then, uh, then, that, then that is the, the, the standard of behavior for our, our political leaders. It's an interesting thing to be reminded of. And, and as we're talking about expectations, we're talking about good church and bad church and, and trying to be what God has called us to be. And, and, and in this, we're admitting that there are good churches and bad churches and that all churches at times are good and all churches at times are bad. But we want to be what God has called us to be. And that includes being aware of the expectations that God has of us as a church. What does the Bible say that we're supposed to do? Because there often, can often be a, a huge gap between what the Bible calls us to do and what the world expects us to do as a church, right? If I were to ask 100 people on the street what you expect churches to do, they would probably say something about helping out the poor. They would probably say something about providing community. And those are all very important things and good things that we ought to be doing. But they are not the most important thing that we ought to do. So what does God expect? And last week we talked about what we're talking about when we talk about church and we talked about the ecclesia that, that is the biblical word. That, that it comes from, that this word is, it means gathering but it called, means to come out from and, and to be called out. And that this word was used by a, a, to describe a gathering of people who made decisions and worked on, uh, towards a common goal. This was the word that we used, was used to describe the, the Greek democracy, the gathering of those who were allowed to vote. And, and this this is another word that is used to, to, in Hebrew, this is a translation of the word kahal, which was a gathering of people towards some sort of, of group. It was the people gathered in the temple for worship. It was the people gathered to plan for some sort of uh, war or attack, okay? So, and we made these two points last week, so that when we refer to church, we're always referring to people. That's what we're talking about. Primary and most, primarily and most importantly is that, is that it's a gathering of people, but it's a gathering of people for a purpose. There is intentionality to what we do and a, and, and a difference that we want to make in the world. So as we talk about good church and bad church, the second thing that I wanna, want us to get is as we're talking about this group of people that are called out, this word also refers, seems to refer to a couple of different things, and, 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 and this is going to get rather cosmic. When we're, we're, when we're talk, we have a tendency when we use the word church to, 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 to divert to just talking about this, us gathered in this room. And that's a valuable and important thing, but, but in the New Testament when they talk about church, they're, they're clearly talking about two different entities, and one is the local gathering, and they're talked about, they talk about this all the time in Romans 16, and Paul talks about the church that meets in the house, uh, in the home of Priscilla and Aquila. And then it talks about the church that meets in the home of Gaius, right? So this is a gathering of people, which could range from anywhere from, from 10 to, to a couple hundred people. That is the church that meets in their, in their house. It's a, it's a local gathering. But it also seems to refer to a cosmic gathering. And Paul refers to this in, in Ephesians 1 when he uses the church in this way. Same word, that same ecclesia word, when he, talk, when he talks about the, so, and Ephesians is hard because the book of Ephesians is essentially one long run-on sentence. 
There's no really good place to break into the middle of Ephesians. Um, at, this is why C.S. Lewis once said of Paul that of, of all the gifts that God came Paul, gave Paul, it's a shame he didn't make him a good writer. Um, this is one of the reasons. Ephesians is a long run-on sentence. But, so he's talking about the power of Jesus. That power is the same and mighty strength exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Period. Sort of. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So when Paul uses church in this context, in everything that he's talking about, the body of Christ, the, the, the revealed Christ, the, the, the uh, rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, the fullness of him who lives, who fills everything in any way, he's not talking about one local gathering, right? When he says this, he's not talking about just the church that meets in the home of Priscilla and Aquila. He's talking about something grander. He's not referring to just the local gathering, the church that meets at 103 97th Street. There's something that, that, there, that's true. He is referring to us, but to, re, to think that that's only this is, is a little bit diminishing. He, there's something greater and grander going on. And he says that the church, which is his body the body of Christ, that there's a deeper connection that binds us all together beyond geography. So it's not just the church gathered here. It's not just the church gathered there. It's not just the church gathered at 134097 97th Street and then the church that is gathered over there a couple of blocks away at Northgate and then the church that is gathered a couple of blocks over this way at the Foursquare Church. I forget the name of it. But, you know, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the grander connection that binds us together across geography. And, and, and Paul carries the same line of thinking on in other places, and this is what he says in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, that just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink, so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. This is the same line, to, line of thinking, but Paul is writing this for a different community. And what he's saying is that beyond ethnicity, beyond culture, beyond societal status and place, there is something that connects us in Jesus. There is something that makes us one. So the world, and we have lived in a culture that is always giving us categories by which we can divide ourselves from each other, okay? We, and the simplest ones are male and female. You know, in their, in their culture, slave or free, a Jew or Gentile. In, in their world, these were very important categories. And Jesus says those categories are all secondarily, secondary now. The most important categories is do you know me or do you not know me? Beyond ethnicity and culture, there is something connects us in Jesus, and that makes us one with people that we have no business being connected with. And I want us to understand that this is deeply and profoundly disturbing in our world. In Genesis, sorry, not in Genesis, in Galatians 3, verse 28, it says that in Christ there is no male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek. That is profoundly disturbing in our world. To say that there is no socioeconomic difference between us, there is no ethnic difference between us, that there is no language difference between us, but that primary above all of those things is Jesus. That is shocking in our world, 
it was extraordinarily more shocking in the world of Jesus because he is writing this to Jews who defined themselves by the fact that they were not Gentiles, that they were not, the other, that they were not outside of the realm of God's people, that, but they, as Jews, were God's chosen people. And because they were chosen people, they were separate from them. And this separation gave them superiority. And, and they believed, as we can often believe, that other people were unclean. And if that they came into contact with those unpeople, that their uncleanliness would spread to them and that they would become unclean as well. Uncleanliness is contagious. But Paul is saying, and God is saying through Paul, that something is superseding that entire train of thought. That everyone that we feel superior to, everyone that we are afraid of, everyone that, that we are, want to separate ourselves from, in Christ has become one. There is no one who is not our brother and sister, and not even beyond that, there is no one who is not one with us in Christ Jesus. If we are part of Jesus' church, we are in this together, whether we like it or not. And it is a sin for us who have been made in Christ one to show partiality to each other, to, 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 to live in separation where you're over there and I'm over here. And more so, and this isn't even saying that, this is going even beyond saying that we're one family. This is saying that we are one body, that we are indivisible. In the same way as, 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 as my finger is a part of my body, even though my, my, my pinky finger is distinct, if my pinky finger is cut off from the body, it dies. It is saying, those people that you feel superior to, you are deeply and intimately connected from the, to them in a way that if you are separated from them, you die. That is the reality that we have been called to. We are a cosmic people beyond geography beyond time beyond any division that we place uh, we place amongst in and among ourselves we are one in Christ Jesus this is how C.S. Lewis put it and C.S. Lewis often puts things better than I can he says for the church is not a human society of people united by their natural affinities but the body of Christ, in which all members, however different, and he, meaning Jesus, God rejoices in their differences and by no means wishes to iron them out, must share in the common life, complementing and helping one another precisely by their differences. We are a cosmic people. That are, that, so the goal of Christianity is not to make everyone like us. The goal of Christianity is to bind us to other people in the midst of their differences in order to change the world around us. This ought to change the way that we view people. This ought to change the way that we view ourselves. The fact that we are a cosmic people ought to change the way that we view everyone. This is another thing that C.S. Lewis says that I think if we took this seriously would radically change everything about the world in which we live. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or, ever, or everlasting splendors. Every human being that we have been encountered is created by God for eternity and will last forever. And all of these things that we care about, our nation states, our corporations, our, our church entities, even though these are beautiful and valuable, they are gone in an instant compared to the reality of the eternal life that human beings have. So when we walk the streets, we don't encounter 
short-term people that do not matter. We encounter people that we could be spending eternity with. When we gather as a church, we don't talk about making a difference for the next couple of years. We talk about making a difference for eternity. We are a cosmic people, and everyone that we meet is a cosmic person. And as cosmic people, we have been called to a cosmic task. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. uh, This is how Paul describes himself in, uh, in, in Ephesians 1. Although I am less... Less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may now approach God with freedom and confidence. That is not uh, Ephesians 1, sorry, that is Ephesians 3 if you're looking for him. So Paul's understanding is that he has been given the task of preaching the world to, to preaching the word of God to people, making plain to them the grace given by God to human beings. That, that there is this mystery of the world that God is, is reaching into it and changing it. And, God, and Paul's task is to make that plain to people. The grace given by God to people. But in the midst of that, that is part of a larger task of the church. That his, meaning God's, intent was that now through the church, through us and people like us gathered all over the world and gathered throughout time, Through us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Okay, so let's let's say who. So let's just figure out now who we're talking to. Okay, so rulers and authorities. Some of your Bibles might have that translated as principalities and powers. Okay, so that is uh, quoted again in uh, in Ephesians chapter six when he's talking about putting on the whole armor of God. This is how Paul understands those principalities and powers, those rulers and authorities that he's talking about. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. That is what we've been called to stand up against in our life one with another. Now, some of you might feel uncomfortable with this, that we don't talk about Satan that much. We don't want to, like, I don't want to go around fighting demons and, st- you know, like that, the, that doesn't seem like a world in which we live. But let's think about this for a second. Are there rulers and authorities bent on the destruction of all humanity? When we have in the power of our governments enough weaponry to completely destroy the planet and all life on it, Are there rulers and authorities bent on the destruction of all humanity? It certainly seems like it. When we live in a world that places economics over the destruction of the environment in which we live, which could make the planet that we live on inhospitable to to, to all life, it's possible that there are rulers and authorities that are bent on the destruction of the earth as we know it. When we are part of government and economic systems that, that exploit others and see other humans and their suffering as necessary collateral damage to the kind of life that we've been called to live or that we want to live, it is possible that we live in a world where there are rulers and authorities bent on our destruction. 
when we live in a, in a society that is the richest that humanity has ever been in the entire history of the planet Earth, and yet we are also the saddest and most anxious group of people that have ever existed on the planet Earth, it is possible that we live in a world where rulers and authorities are bent on our destruction, that are bent on making us sadder, that are bent on our destruction and our dismay. Our, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is not merely to get the legislation to be changed so it will be different. Our fight is not merely against getting our neighbors to change their opinions about things so that they behave more like we do. Our, our fight is against the forces in this world that are intent on our destruction, distracting us from what God has called this world to be, distracting us from how we've been called to treat each other, and distracting us from the eternity that we've been called to. That, that ignores the fact that every human being that we meet is an eternal being filled with power and authority and made in the, in the image of God. The rulers and authorities of this world are intent on distracting us from that and making us see our brothers and sisters in all humanity as commodities or as oppositions or as enemies, and that is what God is calling us out of. And it is that thing that our church and that all churches, the church, the cosmic task that we've been called to, is to make the manifold wisdom of God known. And what is the manifold wisdom of God? That sacrifice is victory. That sacrifice is the way to peace. That, that love for our neighbor is greater than hatred from our neighbor. And that what appears to be small and insignificant and makes no difference in the world around us is what changes everything. The... The people for whom this was originally written lived in a world where the Roman Empire was the most, the most powerful force that anyone could possibly imagine. And they held the power of life and death for everyone who stood in the face of that. And anyone who opposed them or ever, anyone who, who disturbed the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, the way that they, they held the peace was to crush any and all opposition. For the, first ruler, for the first years of this word, that's what they understood as the forces of this world. And yet Paul is saying, guess what? This group of people stand up in the face of that. And this group of people, even though they are crushed in the short term, make the wisdom of God known to it in the long term. This group of people have been chosen by God to intervene in every way that we understand. We are a cosmic people called to a cosmic task. So I want you to look around the room a little bit. And I'm going to actually take some time to do this. Okay, so I'm going to stop, look around the room. Is it off or is it? Okay, well, we'll, I'll worry about that later. Thank you, though. Take a look around the room. And if you're there online, people look somewhere. I don't know. Google image some faces or something like that. By the standards of the world, this group of people is insignificant. By the standards of the world, this group of people is too small to make a difference in Edmonton. This group of people is too old, is too poor, is too insignificant, is too, is too weird to ever make a difference in this city or in any city in the world. And yet, we believe firmly that this is the army that God has called out of this world to make a difference now and for eternity. That's what you have been called to. So do not take your calling lightly. Do not take your church lightly. Do not underestimate anything in any way because God has planted in us the power to speak wisdom to the rulers and authorities of this world. And even if they crush us in the short term, we're going to win in the long term because we know how this story ends. 
We are the body of Christ imbued with all of that authority and all of that power to demonstrate his love to this world. And we do that in a way that is different than what the world has, been, has, has called us to. The world says we are small and insignificant, yet we are the army that God has chosen to face down the darkness of this world. So the challenge for us in this, in this task of, of good church and bad church is to see the power within ourselves. Not because we've planted it in there, not because we're so good or because we're so separate or because we're so amazing that we're able to do these things, but because God has chosen us. God has called us out and said, you are my people that are going to make a difference in this world now and for eternity. Are we willing to stand up to that task? Because it's so easy to sit back and agree with the world that we're small, that we're insignificant, that we're fading away, that the word of God is a, is a relic of, of, an, of an older and more ancient time that doesn't fit in the world in which we live. Yet, we have been given, it's easy to agree with yet, that. Yet it's our challenge to believe the truth that God has given us. That we have the power within us to speak truth to the rulers and authorities of this world. That we have the power within us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And because of that love, we make a difference now and for eternity. Let's pray together. God. We are cosmic people. And because you have made us cosmic people, our actions matter. Our attitudes matter. The way we treat ourselves, the way that we treat each other, the way that we treat the world that you have given us matters. And we ask that you would make that clear to us. And we wouldn't see that as cause for us to be paralyzed or cause for us to shrink back, but we would recognize that you have caused us to move forward in sacrificial love for this world. That we, would, that, we would, that we would leave here filled with your power and recognize that as we are cosmic people, we have been called to a cosmic purpose. And that we have the opportunity, opportunity to participate in the victory that you are winning over, the, over this whole world. And that as members and citizens in your kingdom, we are going to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Make this truth so clear in us that we can't help but change us. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus.